Today on the Women Mind the Water Artivist series, I'm speaking with Martina Wing. Martina is a manta ray and marine life advocate, educator, author, and underwater photographer. Martina has devoted her life to educating and inspiring others to honor, protect, and support our oceans. The Women Mind the Water podcast series engages artists in conversation about their work and explores her connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I am pleased to welcome Martina Wing to the Women Mind the Water Artivist Series podcast. Martina fell in love with the ocean in 1998 after scuba diving with manta rays for the first time. Originally trained as an environmental engineer, Martina now works as a manta ray and marine life advocate, educator, author, and underwater photographer. Martina co-owns Manta Ray Advocates on the Big Island of Hawaii, and with her husband, James, co-founded Hawaiian Ocean Watch, the 501c3 nonprofit organization. Welcome, Martina. Aloha. Aloha. I am looking forward to our conversation about the many things you do to inspire others to support our oceans. Among these are having written Notch, a children's book about a true life rescue of a bottlenose dolphin. You also teach online basic underwater photography, and probably the most exciting thing you do is offer a nighttime snorkel adventure with manta rays. I'd like to begin by talking about what you were doing before that fateful dive in 1998 with manta rays. Where did you grow up and what got you interested in scuba dive? I pretty much fell into to do what I do today. You mentioned I'm an engineer by trade. So I finished school in Germany. I grew up in Germany. Uh, and until my 30th, um, when I turned 30, um, there was, um, that was really when the tra- trajectory of my life changed. Um, I um, went traveling to Hawaii, uh, went on, on the path on to Hawaii, so I was traveling, and I uh, did a volunteer program in Oahu uh, with dolphins. And I had got certified in Australia eight years prior in 91, seven years prior in 91. And uh, I just always wanted to go back into scuba diving. So I, being in Hawaii, I wanted to um, try it again. And I did the manta ray dive here on the Kona coast. It's on the big island. And uh, I was actually on a different island, Oahu. Uh, people said, if you go go diving, go on the big island. And uh, so I did some daytime diving, refreshed myself on the skills, and then did the night dive with the manta rays. And at that point, we had only one location on the coastline where commercial operators um, brought you to see the manta rays. And... Um, I was actually in a really sad chapter of my life. I had uh, lost my first husband to uh, leukemia and uh, in a really deep grieving stage. Um, And so when I did this dive and I saw these incredible, beautiful animals and being underwater to really back to the basics and feeling like humbled and feeling um, small, you know, um, with all the life questions that came up because of this um, um, sad chapter or sad ending for my first husband, I um, felt like there is something else for my for me in this life. Marys themselves are angel-like creatures. They are big fish and uh, they are harmless. They have no stinger, no teeth, no barb. 
And the combination of being in the ocean at night, um, I mean, it's really, really impactful. And for me, it changed my life in the sense of like I did the dive and there was this gentleman on the boat filming me. Uh, I bought the video and think of it, it's a VHS tape that I purchased in 98. So it's a really long time ago, technology-wise. And I bought the video from the gentleman on the boat and I also married him. So I bought the video, I married the guy immigrated to the United States, and uh, we continued filming together the man race and build a company. That's quite a triple love story. Your husband, Hawaii, (laughs) and man rays. I don't know how many of our listeners know what a man ray is. Would you describe what a ray is and then tell us the difference between a ray and a man ray? Yeah, so this is actually how I start my briefing every single night when I have my guests, uh, because it's confusing rays in the ocean and most people uh, think of spotted eagle rays or bat ray and a cow ray and then the infamous stingray and Steve Irwin's uh, last problem. Um, so people know about rays in the ocean but in particular then the manta ray is another one in this uh, so many different rays in the ocean and uh, specific to the manta rays is like their size they're the largest rays in the ocean um, and then there's a distinction between smaller manta ray which is actually called the reef manta and just let that sink in the sizes of a reef manta in itself when it's born it's about two or three feet and we measure wingspan yeah then you have a a teenager manta ray at about six feet and the grown-up males are nine feet and then the grown-up females for the reef mantas are 10 to 12 to 14 feet so the, the females are larger than the males I think that would totally resonate with you. The girls are large in a chart. <laughs> so, oh, I and, then, and then this, this is actually the smaller species of manta rays. And then there's a larger species. So just um, double down reef mantas, their habitat is the reef. In Hawaii, our reefs are our backyard. They're really close to shore. Um, and then when you have a pelagic manta ray, and the other name would be oceanic manta ray or giant manta rays, they roam the big blue. They're out in the deep water. We would see them on an occasion if they just swim by the reef, but then they go back out where they uh, hang out. And the sizes of those ha- could be 22 feet and more. You know, That's so as big I mean, as some of the whale, larger whales. Yes. yes. Wow. Really big fish. Maybe another fact is that manorays have no teeth, no stinger, no barb. Okay. So it's a harmless creature. And the Protection of the ocean is their sheer size. And uh, there are creatures of perpetual motion. A manta ray swims its entire life. It glides and swims through the ocean because it needs the gills oxygenated. So you wrote a children's book about a real adventure that involved the rescue of a dolphin. Yes. And I'm wondering, since you're so deeply inspired by manta rays, why Mm -hmm. didn't you write a book about manta rays? Well, this particular rescue uh, took place at the manta ray dive site. So it was for me a natural thing to talk about the manta rays. And um, what, what happened actually, it was happened in 2013. Um, and I'm not a really social media person back then. I went really late into the social media game. And uh, I filmed this particular rescue. I'm underwater. I'm filming um, the, hmm. the gentleman who rescues the dolphin. And uh, Think of it, oh, I should start a little different. We're at the manta ray site, we're looking at manta rays. Uh, there are 12 manta rays flying around. They're all feeding on the plankton. 
and uh, several groups are out there. And one of the dive masters has a cutter, like something to cut lines with. Mm-hmm. And this particular dolphin is a bottlenose dolphin, and he said has been seen uh, many times along the coast. And he used to come to the site maybe 20 times prior to this um, rescue with two other buddies. So they were always swimming in threes to come to the site. And that particular night, he came by himself, and he go, went really slow. And he's like, uh, really thinking, what's going on here? Uh, can someone help me? And what happened is he had fishing line wrapped around his pectoral fin and his mouth. And he specifically chose this dive master that had the tool to rescue him. Um, now, you can speculate how they didn't know. Um, I think, it, it, well, I do know, you can see the video, you know, it's still online. You can see how the dolphins swim around and looking around. Um, and uh, this particular gentleman has been doing this for a very long time, too. He let go of his camera and had his hands up and started to uh, work the, the fishing line. And the dolphin realized, I should stay here and get rescued. And the rescue took place. I took the video. So I'd love it if you'd help us imagine what it's like swimming with a manta ray. Describe what the experience is like. What will we see and what will we hear? Well, you have to be certified. Uh, You jump in. It's all guided. These are all guided tours. And the the concept of the dive is you sit on the bottom of the ocean about 30 feet of depth. Um, We set up a campfire concept. Uh, Several dive groups are there and then they have a big box with lights in the middle it's a sandy patch in 30 feet and then a dive group sit around that light box like a campfire and everybody has a dive light every diver has to have their own life light and then think of it from 30 feet up the lights are shining towards the surface and at the same time the bubbles are going up as well and uh, if the plankton is in abundance the manta rays are classic condition to come from the reef and say hey i want to feed on that plankton and uh, how can you envision it? It's, it's like a rock concert. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you have these beautiful big fish swimming around and uh, the divers are blowing their bubbles. The lights are going crossing. And at the same time, the, the snorkelers are at the side too. And they're hanging on the surface and they have lights and they're shining it down. Um, there are surfboards with lights in it to keep the groups organized. But so you have all these, if you look as a diver, you feel like there's a stars up there and they're all moving mm. around so it's an incredible setup um, from uh, visual right like, emotional very impactful um, and then you see angel like beautiful big fish uh, swimming around yeah. so i know with marine mammals such as whales and dolphins there are rules for engagement mm-hmm. uh, these were established to prevent marine mammals from being harassed or harmed yeah. mantas are fish and I'm mm-hmm. curious to know if there are rules for engagement with mantas. For example, how close should people get? Yeah, so on this particular manta ray experience as uh, an industry, really back in 93, I believe, already the group came together, the groups came together that were off- offering the tour and created the guidelines for the participants, how to best behave around the manta rays. Because the whole concept is, well, it's food-driven concept, right? The manorays are not there because of the people. The manorays are there for the food. So it's the best benefit. Everybody benefits if we don't interfere with the animal. And so there's no touching. Um, the snorkelers have to stay on the surface. 
and I cannot free dive down. It's a concept of holding your breath and free dive down. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. And the guides all enforce that. And for the divers, you stay on the bottom, like in that sand patch where we have the divers. Um, you settle down. And even if the ocean is a little rougher, we actually give people a little bit extra weight. And, uh, and some divers uh, are more buoyant. They get a big rock. There are a lot of lava rocks laying around. You put a rock in someone's lap. So they stay put because it's really important that we don't interfere with the animal and the goal that the animal has, which just simply wants to feed, you know, and this is established for so many years in this, in this industry. Um, and it works uh, well because we have consistent sightings. The manorays are not scared of the um, situation of bubbles and lights. They actually get conditioned and feel a trust that they can trust to come to the site. Um, yeah. So uh, you said that do. some of the manta rays have been around a long time. How yes. do you how do you know the individual? Mm-hmm. If I just open my book for a second, I, the first page is about the manta ray. If you stick, see it, all these manta rays here, um, there's a spot pattern between that gill slits right here on the underside. And if you would look at all the other five in here, they all have a different spot pattern. That is uh-huh. the unique marking that we concentrate on. I mean, they're all unique. They have personalities, individuality, and we name the man rays. So if you look at that spot pattern between their gill slits, it's like a fingerprint. And then we can say, okay, this is this man ray and this man ray. Okay. And the ones I referred to earlier is uh, the man ray we see for 30 years. Her name is Big Bertha. She was identified in 1992. She is about 12 to 14 feet. Um, she's a really large female. Big girl, yes. You bet. And she was Big Bertha back then in 92. For 30 years, she's Big Bertha and not she was named not Little Bertha or Bertha. She was a grown-up female, reproductive, and um, is still seen at least 50 times a year on the coastline here. And um, she tells us, or she teaches us so much because she's around for so long. And uh, I followed her pregnancies over the years and created a video how you can actually see from being chased by the boys. It's the, the first part of the um, mating process. And then all the way to 13 months later when they actually give birth. I didn't get the birth. Of course, it's, I mean, that would be, it's never been filmed. Um, but the process of how she actually expand her belly got bigger and bigger. They have one pup at a time. It's rolled her up like a burrito inside. And it's live birth when the pup comes out. And uh, I've created this pregnancy diary to show people how what you look for when, when the man is, and the female gets bigger and bigger and has this big pregnancy belly. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's a testament to you as a diver and, and as an interpreter uh, guide to mm-hmm. keep people away so they're watching at a respectful distance so that Absolutely. the man rays people are just background noise and not bothering them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not concept. And like I purposely called my company manor advocates because I speak for the animal, you know? Right. So uh, it was really important to me that there is a voice like this in our industry as well, because um, people are so disconnected from nature that there, it has to be someone speaking for the animals, you know, it's like, and these are voiceless, gentle giants. Uh, it's really important that we keep telling the stories uh, that um, we can keep them around for a long, long time. I mean, I think no you're a wonderful, very clear and um, voice, both in, in interpreting 
mm -hmm. uh, what people are watching and, and being an advocate for the manta ray. One of the previous guests was Kathy Sackis, an interpretive naturalist, author, and filmmaker. I'd say that what you do has a lot in common with Kathy's work, but in your case, you are interpreting Hawaii's underwater ecosystem. What are some of the more common questions you get? It always circles back to this um, question also, are they endangered or uh, how many manors are in the ocean and stuff like that? And uh, I always try to br bring it full circle for my guests. It's, yes, I'm a facilitator to show them something most beautiful. It stays with people for a long, long time to see manta rays. And at the same time, we have to do the work um, because manta rays are red listed. Actually, both species are on the red list. Um, and one is uh, in different categories, but, you know, we have to be careful. It's a very slow reproducing producing animal. 13 months gestation period with one pup at a time. Um, takes 10 to 15 years to find sexual, to reach sexual maturity you know, and everything goes well, every two or four years, there might be a pregnancy. That's what we've actually seen with Big Bertha. Did you say and, one pup at a time? That's yes. incredible. Yeah. You know, we don't know enough actually about it. Maybe it could be two, but it's not like 50 coming out of it, mm. you know. So, and just last, um, uh, sep excuse me, just, just uh, last November, two days before, thanks before Thanksgiving, I met the smallest uh, pup I've ever seen. I've seen, I mean, I named 50, 55 manta rays over the years. So I've really been involved in seeing different manta rays, different sizes, the, the males, the females, everything. And that was the smallest one. And she still had her fetal folds on her back. When a burrito comes out of this, or burrito star pup comes out of and unfolds his wings, it had these fetal folds. And this little pup is now actually seen. Uh, we, she wasn't here at the beginning of the year, but I see her almost every second or third time. So she seems to get used to this area to be maybe her home range to come to the lights at night. It's super exciting to see how these little ones grow up. And I don't, uh, when you saw this one, that she was about two or three feet, I cannot believe that Big Bertha, I'm not sure if she's the mother, but out of this big belly would come two or three or four or five. This was a brand new pup. And so, yeah, we believe that it's one pup at a time, maybe two, and that's it. You know, and if it's such a slow reproducing animal, we have to do the work to protect them. Asian fisheries hunt manta rays because there's a demand for their uh, parts of their body. And if we don't um, really speed up the process to make sure the natural world has a chance to um, survive, really, it's a survival. Uh, we're going through an extinction process here, um, then uh, I don't know where this is going. I just know when my guests leave the, and that's my wish for them, when they leave our activity, they're not only motivated to do better, they're invigorated to do better. The manners have a real impact. This whole experience has a real impact on them. I think and this interview is going to have a real impact on listeners too, especially when I show the video that you shared. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yes, spread the word, spread the word. Yes. In 20 years of doing this, I mean, I'm 24 years with Mannerites now. Um, and I felt always keep talking, keep talking. I mean, I feel like it's my purpose to do the work. And so it's very, I, I've never get tired of something. Like people say, that's your job. I'm like, yeah, it's my job. It's my business too. But there's, so much inner energy from coming from me to do this. 
And for 20 years, I can say it was awareness work, you know, just trying to people shake people up, stay with us, make sure the natural world doesn't go extinct. And now this is the decade where we actually have to do something. It's the execution of um, not putting ourselves always in the forefront as the species that need, has, needs to have all the needs. Um, we need to cater to the humans. No, no, no. This is now the time, this is the decade where we have to do the work to do things, execute, not just have awareness work, execute. And I'm really, really happy when um, I see all the nonprofits that are all set up over the last 10, 12, 15 years that actually have so many programs where you can get involved, you know, and uh, people can do work. We, we have to do a lot of stuff, but we can do it. You know, we can execute now. And that's what I'm hoping for that my right. work brings to people. I think you just answered my last question to you, which, which was, I wonder what sort of message you might share with listeners, especially those that haven't been to Hawaii or maybe even to visit the ocean. If the ecosystem ocean collapses, we as a whole planet, we're done. I mean, it doesn't work any other way, right? So here's the thing, the statistics I want to bring in, it has to do with shark finning. And I hope your listeners are familiar with shark finning, but it's um, from the Chinese traditional meal. There's a demand that is so outrageous high that for a soup that is being prepared for traditional meals, they need a shark fin. And the shark are being killed in numbers of 70 million, 70 million sharks a year to, for a demand for a soup. And let's make a graphic. It's a bloody stupid soup, right? So if we cannot pull back on that and we take the, the apex predator of being the sharks out of the ocean in these numbers, uh, the system will collapse just from that concept, you know? And uh, it, when I tell people my guests that at night, I mean, they really step back and it have to swallow hard, you know? But this is the message we have to do the work. We have the numbers, we have the statistics, we have the, the groups that can do the work for you. Um, maybe you can just want to um, donate money. Maybe you want to volunteer. Maybe get a job with these groups. Like for Mentor, for example, I really like mentortrust.org. It's a nonprofit in the Maldives, specific to mentors. They do incredible work. Then there is Sylvia Earl. Then there is, uh, I could go and go on and on, the list is uh, really long. Um, who does the work, um, and in the, the groups are um, established, they have uh, missions, they have programs, and we bring, need to bring all the other folks in that just want to sit back and just live their life. We can't do it that way because in 10 years, the world will look very different if we don't do the work now. Well, I think you've given us some wonderful insight into what it's like below the waters and given us some good advice. I will post your website on uh, mine so people can find you and hopefully want to come and experience it themselves. Martina, I want to thank you for being on the Women Mind the Water podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to Martina speak about the waters of the big island of Hawaii, and particularly giving us a better understanding of the fish known as a manta ray. 
I'd like to remind listeners that I've been speaking with Martina Wing for the Women Mind the Water podcast series. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and other sites. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of the Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.